Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hey everybody, you're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR. My name is Mario Pojiga. I just want to acknowledge the people of the Kulin Nation whose land I am recording from at the moment. Um, so today's guest is Shakira Hussein. Shakira is the author of From Victims to Suspects, Muslim Women Since 9-11, and a contributor to the anthology Me Too, Stories from the Australian Movement. She's a research fellow at the University of Melbourne and has published on topics including racism, gender violence, and disability. Naomi and I chatted to Shakira recently where we talked about invisible and visible disability and questioned the usefulness of the terms, and then talked about the many different experiences of disability and how we can make space for all of them in the disability community. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Shakira, I'm gonna ask you the same question I've been asking everybody this year when I, whenever I've done this show. Um, how are you going? Um, it's tough, but I'm better off than a lot of people. I don't have young children bouncing off the walls that I'm trying to, like, homeschool for one. I don't have elderly family members, you know, in potentially unsafe nursing homes whose... Um, health I'm concerned about I and all of us are living in Australia rather than in you know France or Germany and mm. where we, the death toll has been so high and um I think in terms of the restrictions and the constraints on mobility actually multiple cirrhosis flares have been good practice for that and it's <laughs> I've it's, said that for chronic fatigue syndrome as well so many times <laughs> It's yeah, it's the, yeah, it's it's like a multiple cirrhosis flare only without the intense physical pain. So, you know, <laughs> there's that. On one level, the fact that my health at the moment is stronger than it has been makes it more frustrating not to be able to go out and not to be able to travel overseas for that matter, which I hadn't been able to do for years and have just now, you know, been released from having to have regular blood tests and things that would mean if I, well, also there's the money for the airfares, but you know, I was planning to rob a bank or something, you know? Um, <laughs> so, it, so, but when, if I start to get too grouchy about that, well, it does remind me that my health is actually stronger than it has been. And to bitch that I can't take advantage of that health by going and doing field work in Pakistan or presenting seminars in New York or whatever. Um, seems a bit like shallow Have you the, you know, the but... advantage of the, the whole zoom revolution that's been happening in terms of your work internationally oh yeah absolutely and that's been great you know and being able to attend events well even just events here in melbourne which would otherwise have been too exhausting to um to get to at various points and you know, and yeah, and to be connecting with well various scholars who I've 
you know, um, always admired, but who are based overseas. And yeah, and being at, well, I'm doing this um, class on, on music and Islam in Pakistan, which is by Zoom, um, which has been a long held ambition of mine actually to study poetry in Lahore. Okay, that means I have to do it on Lahore time, which is like half past midnight to 2.30 a.m. But, you know, I can deal with that. It's, um, it's, it's great. Awesome, awesome. Um, so on this show, we often talk about invisible illness. But Shakira, I know that you've started to kind of question the usefulness of um, terms like invisible illness and visible illness. Um, can you explain to us what your thinking has been around it? Well, of course, being able to name something can be extremely empowering. And having a term like invisible illness, I'm not going to say that isn't useful, but maybe we shouldn't see it as such hard binaries. There are people with invisible illness and people with visible illness, because I'm going to say most even people with a long-term chronic disease go between it being invisible and visible often within the course of a day. And my own experience with multiple cirrhosis was that initially it was invisible even to me because I didn't have a diagnosis. It became visible by the time I was diagnosed, it was visible in the sense that I was using a walking stick some of the time, but not all of the time. I tried to keep it invisible by not using the stick as much as my doctors and physios and not to mention family members were suggesting that I should but you know and um i was still at a stage of wanting to pass as as able-bodied and um and well not willing to relinquish that identity i think it's unfortunate the way that they've been set up as um as as tribes that are somehow you know if not at war but have competing interests when um that really isn't the case and certainly shouldn't be the case. I, I just sort of, I'm thinking as you're talking, like one of the things I've noticed, like it's exactly as you say, there, there's sort of this sort of tribal thing around it almost. But at the same time, I think that's, a lot of that comes from the fact that the discrimination is very different when, when things are invisible to when they're visible. Um, and I think like, because those, experiences are, are a little bit different. I think sometimes it's hard for people on either side of that to kind of understand really what's happening on the other side, mm -hmm. um, at least in a direct way. Like you can kind of, you can try to empathize with it, but unless you've experienced it, I think it's a little bit difficult. Um, yeah, which is odd because most of us have experienced them both and yet we can't make that leap of what shouldn't be a leap of the imagination, leap of mm. memory, leap of, um, I like from my perspective, I've because mine has been largely invisible the entire time. The only time for me that it's ever visible is when I use a mobility scooter, which is rarely, it's only when I'm going to events that I would have to walk around a lot if I didn't have the scooter and I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, because I've ended up in arguments with people, like not like flat out angry arguments, but just sort of where, where people who have more experience of having a visible disability are more concerned with discrimination that happens because you look different but they sort of struggle to understand how um 
if if something is invisible then the discrimination happens because people expect more of you whereas someone who yeah. has a more visible condition like they're used to people underestimating them and expecting less and that becoming the constrictive thing um and it's also like, yeah. because it because whether a disability is visible or not not you know often is to do with what course of you know the course of the disease sorry i'm remembering thinking back over my own life um like the the point at which like the invisible symptoms have you know sometimes been quite minor and sometimes been really major like really extreme pain so my way of relating to it is also to do with the point that, you know so it's also to do with the point that the disease was at had shifted you do know i wasn't even really using the word well another thing is that the word disability is being much more widely used than it was when i was mm. kind of diagnosed 2006 2007 you know and um and which i think is a good thing oh yeah no i do think it's a good thing you were kind of saying that um you've kind of had experience of kind of both having an invisible illness and then also at other times it being more visible like what have you noticed around how people have responded to you um people tend to, um, people are much more likely to think that an invisible illness is to do with you not either not really being sick or not appropriately just dealing with the sickness mm. you know so there's that um but I'm reminded of conversations that I've had about race and passing, you know, and I do think that while I get what Naomi was saying about um, the sorts the you know, and quite acute forms of discrimination that are placed on you when you have an invisible illness, but then you also have sort of passing privileges, which people who are, who's colouring you know, it's it's this difficult and ambivalent, and I don't really pass as white, and 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 you know, and various other friends could but don't choose to. So um, the way that you relate to, I mean, nobody elects to have an invisible disability with all the you know, well, never mind the social elements of it, but the physical elements of it. But you do, I think, or one can, depending on how much the disease is just stopping you from taking advantage of that privilege. If I speak to my own experience, I know that I accumulated a level of advantage prior to, well, first of all, prior to the multiple cirrhosis being much of a factor in my life when it was you know, mostly in remission for a number of years. And then during the phase where it was mostly invisible, you know, and I acknowledge the advantage that I gained during that time. But like this, it's, if you just talk about it in terms of practicality, I was reluctant to use the walking stick, as I said, as early as I was being advised to do so, or the um, elbow crutch it is now, um, because the reason I was being it was being suggested to me was that if people could see the stick, then they would be less likely to bump into me and I was likely to fall and they would give me enough space to navigate safely. But mm -hmm. I was like, can't I just have a t-shirt that says fuck off? 
which you know, <laughs> or, or, or an expression on I, what I actually settled on was an expression on my face that said "fuck off," which my daughter was saying, "You're when you're on the tram, you're just terrifying. Just the look, you know, the scowl, the way you glare at people. You know, can't you just use a stick instead of like, you know, instead of that face? Okay. No, fuck that." and fuck them, and fuck off everybody, you know, so I will say, um, <laughs> like, I'm a nicer person now that I've rendered myself, rendered my disability visible, uh, you know, or rendered it visible, like, when I'm out and out about town, you know, <laughs> sorry, that was very stream of consciousness. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. That is fantastic, I'm not even going to edit that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, have, we have limited swearing on this show but we're going to use it for that I'm yep. using it for that and it's going to be part of some promo, promo at some point no. <laughs> well, um, held off. it's interesting because while you've both been talking I've been kind of thinking about my own experience and kind of I was born with you know um, chronic illness and stuff um, and from all my time kind of going to doctors, accessing medical support, all that kind of stuff. Um, nobody's ever called it a disability for one. Um, and it's, it's never kind of been questioned around um, that you're anything other than not disabled. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, yeah. and I wonder whether that's like it, a gender... it got separated into that health category. Yeah. Agreement. Like I, it's never been, I've never, it, it, and it took a really long time for me to actually connect it to disability um, because I never got those messages. I always got the message that it's not a disability. It's kind of like, it's something completely different. It's like a sickness or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? Um, and mm. I wonder how many people have that experience of, you know, not having, that message or being told that it's almost a bad thing to kind of connect it to disability. Does that make sense? I experienced that a lot. Um, when I first got sick, like I went through that thing of knowing that I was disabled, but not feeling like I had a right to the identity because mm. no one like same as you doctors didn't say this is a disability. Um, they, they just sort of said, Oh, you're, you're sick, take some time off, whatever. Um, but what that ultimately means is that you don't end up with access to disability support. You don't end up with access to that community either. Mm. Um, and I think that's coming back to what Shakira was saying about privilege. I think um, when it comes to sort of visibility and invisibility, I think privilege actually goes a little bit both ways um, because you're absolutely right. What you're describing that, you know, you do kind of accumulate social capital when you don't look disabled in a way that someone who does look disabled um, doesn't get. But at the same time, there are certain things that are reserved for disabled people, certain supports and um, like just, just sort of being in public, this is just one example, but I was once on a, on a flight with a friend who was more visibly disabled than, than I've ever been. And I needed the, the buggy to get from the plane to the airport and he didn't. Um, but we knew that if he asked for it, there would be no question. He would just get it. Um, so he asked for it and we both used it. Um, but it's that sort of thing. Like if he hadn't been there, if I had just been on my own, or if I had asked for it for myself while he was sitting there, there, there could even have been a thing of, oh, the non-disabled person is asking for support. Like how inappropriate when there's a disabled person right there. My, um, my daughter would come into this because I wasn't asking for that. I didn't feel entitled but my daughter at like age eight or so would just march up to the desk 
and say, excuse me, but could my request, my mother has multiple cirrhosis, could we get special assistance for her, please? And then they would treat, because of my brown skin, then they treated her as the amazing little girl mm. taking such good care of her mother who clearly didn't speak English as well as being disabled. <laughs> and, <laughs> There's like multiple they, they, levels of assumptions yeah, going on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'd go and get the wheelchair and they'd pat my daughter on the head and tell her what a good girl she was and speak to my daughter and not to me because clearly I didn't speak English. And, you know, and, um, and you know, that made me pretty grumpy at the time I have to say, but at the same time, my daughter was right. You know, it did make life easier. It did make everything yeah. faster. I was a lot less tired, you know, and it was safer for me not to be contending with jostling people in the queue. So, you know. Um, and ultimately you had yeah. a right to that support. Like she kind yeah. of cottoned on to that earlier, I would say. Yeah. Um, the, the people who push the wheelchair for you, whatever they're called, um, also overstate it when you're going through security so that you don't have to get up and go through the thing. When they say, can, can she walk through the gates and, more often than not, they'll answer again. They'll they'll answer for me, which is galling on the one hand, but on the other hand, save me from getting up. They'll say, "Oh no, she can't walk at all," you know. Mm. And oh, like, wow. oh, she can't stand up. No, she can't stand up. Not her. Just wave that magnetic wand or and whatever it is. You know, explosive. That's interesting because I use the wheelchair at the airport too, but they always say, "Yes, she can stand up at the gate." Yeah, I wonder if it's because I can also pass as not speaking English. It's, it's mm. that. Yeah, <laughs> how much of that is, is a racial assumption? Like the, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yes, she's not going to contradict me because, you know, um, yeah, sorry. Or maybe we can't be bothered actually finding out because there might be a language barrier. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. yeah. I always feel like it's like getting to see a uh, the airport from the point of view of his suitcase just being trundled <laughs> around and, and and becoming aware of all these you know this strata and these you know airport workers who you normally you know don't wouldn't cross your radar you're listening to chronically chilled on 3cr and um, we're speaking with author and research fellow shakira hussein we were talking before about kind of often the clash that happens between people who kind of um, relate to being visibly um, disabled compared to being having an invisible disability and just then we were also talking about kind of that sense of entitlement and the struggle I think that people sometimes go through around am I disabled do I feel disabled enough do I actually feel like I belong kind of in regards to being able to talk about it um, but also being able to actually feel and kind of um, accept that, yes, I am disabled and kind of feel that that is actually true. And I guess I'm thinking around what does that mean in regards to how we as a disability community, um, and I'm thinking also around activist spaces, I guess they're competing themes, they're competing ideas, they're competing um, points of view and things like that. And this is a really, really big question and this is more than a segment on a radio show, um, but how do we make space for all of that and kind of come together and, you know, avoid those kind of splintering off of, yeah, the community in general? Again, I th to me, it comes back to not seeing things in such binary terms mm. and to um, 
thinking perhaps more closely about our own life experiences. But like, sorry to rewinding a bit here. I didn't have the experience of not having the word disability associated with the multiple cirrhosis because it's, that's how, you know, all those kids who used to do the MS readathon, I don't think they run it anymore. Yeah. You know, that, that got that across pretty strongly. And it, it actually, um, it, it, a little too, well, that got across the fact that multiple cirrhosis is, is associated with people in wheelchairs mm. and wheelchairs are what people see as the symbol of disability. And, um, yeah. so like, um, and so I saw it from the outset. I didn't necessarily, well, I didn't see myself as disabled, but I saw myself as having a disabling disease, mm. which is not quite the same, but certainly, you know, the general term was, was, closely associated with me and I saw disability like of a process that you know I was taking medication in order to you know keep at bay or in order to you know not be overwhelmed by and actually I had also had the process before the multiple cirrhosis diagnosis of coming to terms with a, a, with an identity as a person living with a psychiatric disability which turned out definitively not to have bipolar disorder so I'd reconciled myself to that form of invisible disability, which again, wasn't that invisible in the sense that I was quite clearly, you know, a mess and falling apart only with the stress of undiagnosed multiple cirrhosis, not the physical effects of bipolar disorder. That, that makes total sense actually in relation to what we were talking about, because you've sort of experienced how someone with bipolar would be treated by the system in a way. So, that sort of creates a, a sense of kind of empathy and understanding, I guess, for people who actually do have psychosocial disability. Um, yeah, well, it certainly makes me very aware that the stigma around bipolar disorder is a lot higher than the stigma around multiple cirrhosis, even mm. though with multiple cirrhosis, it, it can certainly be a lot more visible. Yeah, I think um, in relation to what you were saying before, Mario, um, just in terms of how do we make space for that mm -hmm. um, within the disability community, I actually think that, like you said, like the word disability has come to be much more encompassing of, of things like psychosocial disability, invisible disability, chronic mm -hmm. illness, all of those things mm -hmm. than it used to be. And I think like just that dedication to making sure the language is more inclusive mm -hmm. actually means that as a community we are talking about it more and we are kind of talking about where the common interests are between all these different groups yeah. um and what the differences are and i think people are becoming i mean my experience within this community is that people are becoming more understanding over time yeah um and that there is space being created and it's just sort of happening organically is that mm -hmm. something that you guys have experienced i think so as well and i think the language is um there is a clearness of the language around it. Um, but when I think of it, there's so many more points of connection that people share um, compared to, say, departures. Um, mm. And I think that's kind of one way of going about it is talking about those points of connection, um, kind of rather than talking about the differences. And um, there are so many points of connection that we can all connect on regardless of kind of all those things. I think social media has been a really double-edged sword actually in these conversations because on the one hand it's allowed people to form connections that they wouldn't otherwise have formed and to 
um, participate in conversations which have been really productive. But it's often some, when you come down to it, pointless social media storm in a teacup that generates the, you know, the, the most lasting wounds, you know, and, um, and heightened levels of ill feeling. And that's a real shame. Maybe we should just all settle. Um, maybe we should all just schedule social media breaks a little more often than we do. Yeah, I've done that, um, but I don't think that it's only with the disability community that that's happening. I think it's just oh no, it's it's you can everywhere. see it's global. It's, it's yeah. you know it's it's but look at the US part of what brought Donald yeah. Trump to power. Yeah. 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 I think also like it's such a gift as well. I think for people who are house and bed bound. Totally. Um, which is it, but yeah, it is, it is definitely a double-edged sword, but I think cause social media really started around the same time that I got sick. Um, and it was sort of, there was probably about two years, but there was no social media. Um, and then it kind of really took off around sort of 2007, I think. Um, and that like the difference that that made to me in a positive way, being able to connect with a lot of community at that time, which I hadn't been able to do before. Like that was, that was mind blowing. And just in like the MECFS community, like it's meant that we actually have a movement now. We actually have people fighting for our rights, which because we were so segregated in our own houses before um, and we didn't know each other, we weren't able to find each other. Um, it's just made a massive difference to how we're able to talk about it and, and develop like a rights-based language around it that you don't sort of get on an individual basis from physicians. Cause I think, you know, doctors come at it very medical model um, rather than kind of human rights model. Um, so in that, in that way, like it's really, really a positive thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I spend an absolutely ridiculous amount of time on Facebook. Um, it's a tool and, you know, and, and it's how you learn to use it, you know, and, and also learning when to put it down sometimes, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and certainly at various points when, when I was particularly immobilised and, and, you know, I'd, yeah, I don't know how I would have got by if I hadn't had Facebook, you know. Yeah. I think it's a really difficult one because regardless of what you think of social media, I think the disability community kind of, rely on it in such a strong way then you reckon oh yeah yeah i mean yeah, and the, the muslim thing is like and the muslim thing is another level again because it's mm. where the people from outside that community you know it's it's where the people that's that's where the death threats come from too so like it's um mm. it's um so yeah it's it's um it's a double-edged sword yeah. like you said at the beginning yeah. shakira yeah 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 and, 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 you know, it's where the stalkers live too. That was author and research fellow Shakira Hussain. Um, you can catch all of our episodes on podcasts via iTunes, Spotify, or on the 3CR website um, by searching in Chronically Chilled. Um, I just want to thank Shakira for coming onto the show, and I want to thank you for listening.